2: good morning i'm ellie weiss and welcome to our wild world it's important to be earnest earnest in what we do and in our intentions and how we are going to choose to live with each other and other life on earth it's become critically important to see that one of our eldest and long-lived neighbors the elephant through a new lens that is not based solely on upon our viewpoint my guest today debbie mcphee long-time animal advocate, has provided a way to do this through her poignant and factu- factually researched book, Through the Eyes of Being Ernest. The story of Ernest is a representative story of every elephant, a journey that reminds us, the reader, that we humans have a choice in whether or not we keep elephants, or any animal for that matter, captive, but the elephant nor the animals do not have that choice. So, without much further ado, I'd like to welcome Debbie McPhee. Hi, Ellie.
3: Thank you so much for having me. Go.
2: It's a pleasure to have you here. We, uh, Debbie and I, met at the PAWS conference when she walked up to me where I had a table and said, "Hello, I'm Debbie. We're Facebook friends." It took me a few moments to gather my wits and put it all together, but of course you'd be at the PAWS conference. Your book, the dedication to Pat Derby and Ed Stewart, and the research included from so many of our friends, colleagues, and fellow conservationists, all gathered together under one roof. It's would have been impossible for you not to be there, and it's such a pleasure to have you here on Our Wild World, so I thank you and welcome. Um, let's begin by you telling us a bit about yourself. What propelled you to become interested in elephants? Um, I've
3: I've loved elephants my entire life. Um, I mean, who doesn't love elephants? And um, I think my awareness of their plight started when I skipped school in 12th grade in the 70s, and I saw lonely Nancy at the zoo, all by herself, looking very sad. And um, I swore I was never going to go into another zoo again after that. And I didn't until I moved to San Diego and checked out the San Diego Zoo. And
2: all where, the animals. One second. One,
3: where was Nancy? what zoo was this? The Washington Zoo. I'm sorry, the Washington D.C. Zoo. Okay. And um, and she. I mean, her uh, her sadness just haunted me. And I just thought, oh my God, I can. I zoos are. You know, I, it was just. I was traumatized by it. And I went to college in San Diego, and I checked out the San Diego Zoo because I had heard so much about it, and the animals looked just as sad there as any other place. So I never went back to another zoo again. That was my statement about the situation. And um, I I, um, found out about the elephant sanctuary in Tennessee. This is with Scott Blaze? Right, and Carol Buckley, and was reading about all the different elephants and their stories, and became just absolutely... Horrified that human beings could do that to one of God's creatures and started researching the matter. And, um, you know, I would just read and read and read everything I'd get my hands on. And I would cry and cry and cry. And a girlfriend of mine, Gina, in San Diego, said, Debbie, you're not helping this by crying. Why don't you write that book you always wanted to write? So and that's
2: through the eyes of being earnest, or through yes. the eyes of earnest, I'm yes. sorry.
3: That's okay, through the eyes of Ernest. And, you know, everything I read, people talked about how much the elephants affected them and how, you know, just how awesome they were and how they changed as human beings. And, and it was all wonderful stuff, but I thought, you know what, I wonder how the elephants view us. And I started thinking about captivity from their point of view. Do you think and- that's possible? Do you think we can well, we'll never really know 100% what they're thinking, of course. Like, we don't know what each other's thinking 100% of the time. But empathy, I think, plays an important part in my story.
2: Thank you. That's that's the word I was looking for, empathy and compassion. Because I'd like you to know and my listeners to know that I did start reading the book. Uh, Debbie provided me a copy at the PAWS conference. And I had to stop uh, because it's. I started reading before our conversation today. And I had to stop because it just started making me tear up too much to um, get into this conversation. So Debbie has assured me that there are happy parts to it, and I'm sure there are because of the research and the people that you've talked to to um, write this book. But the writing is beautiful. So um, before we go too much farther, let's again say the title and where people can find the book. Uh, It's Through the Eyes of Ernest, and you can
3: buy it on Amazon. It's in paperback and um, Kindle. It's also on Barnes and Noble, or you can buy it directly from my website, which is www.number4theelephants.com.
2: And what's the difference of purchasing it through your website versus uh, the commercial bookstores?
3: Uh, Ernest gets more royalties if it's bought directly from me, and 100% of all my royalties go to um, helping elephants around the world.
2: All right. We're going to get into that a little bit later in the program um, of the advocacy part of why the purpose of Through the Eyes of Ernest and, and why you wrote it. But let's go back to where, where you were. So you had an immediate empathy and um, compassion for elephants in captivity. And uh, you were talking about the research and that you decided to really look into this. And so tell us about some of the research that you, you did about elephants in captivity, not from the um, viewer side, um, but from the, the the elephant researcher side to be able to come up with this perspective from the elephant.
3: One of the things that struck me I mean incredibly was I was reading some American Zoo Association documents, I, I can't remember if it was their annual report or something, and one of the paragraphs said that the average lifespan of an elephant in captivity is 35 to 40 years. And I, my jaw dropped because I know they can live to be 70s, 80s. I mean, there's some 90-year-old ones in Asia.
2: And it occurred to me that captivity cuts their lives in half. Now, this is really contrary to the um, usual line, and I'm going to just say it out loud, the line of drivel that we're given as a, the public um, from captive associations that like to say, animals are so well taken care of in captivity that they live such longer lives.
3: All right, maybe some animals, like maybe a gerbil, you know, or some of the smaller animals, but the largest land mammal on the planet, how can they thrive in captivity? They they walk, um, what, 50 miles a day, 18 hours a day foraging and, and tearing trees and bark. and I mean, they don't thrive. Um, Daphne um, Sheldrick said it best, what you see in a zoo is not an elephant, it's
2: a tragedy. Oh, that's very well put. And... What you've just mentioned there, thriving, is a lot of what we've been talking about on Our Wild World lately since I attended the PAWS conference. Because like you, I just sort of turned away from the whole captive issue because I didn't like what I saw there. It was not wild animals. They were representatives, some tragic representative, as Daphne said, of their wild cousins. So I, I didn't pay attention. But what you and Scott Blaze and Pat, uh, excuse me, Ed Stewart And everyone at the conference pointed out is this concept of thriving versus just surviving. So, of course, we can keep animals alive in captivity, but are they thriving? And as you so pointed out in what uh, the book, Ernest, is telling us is that to thrive in captivity is is not possible for an elephant. This is the largest living land mammal that is... um, uh, evolved to be a continent shifter and shaper how can it possibly be anything of what it is in a 50 by 50 cement enclosure even if it's created to look like a habitat with eye candy so i had to get my two cents in worth we're on the same page so tell us some more who did you um so you you read this um zoo organization article and that propelled you into what
3: well, I, re- and I was reading the politics of zoos, um, you know, because uh, zoos and circuses, I learned, are animal traders. Um, the thing that really hurts my heart is that elephants are very relational. They, um, you know, they form, you know, lifelong relationships. Female elephants stay with their families their entire lives. And um, to think that, you know, like if you and I were elephants, Ellie in a zoo and, you know, we got to be good friends and we hung out for 10 or 15 years and we shared all our heartaches and our secrets and kept each other warm at night and you know we're just enjoyed each other's company as much as we could and then they decide to trade you or me and we never know what happens to each other you're gone forever there's no closure there's no
2: keeping in touch and I may end up by myself for 20 years it's like facing a tragic accident in a human life where a car crash or um, a shipwreck or something happens that totally devastates your life and everything changes from that moment. Who are we to think that elephants don't have this same sense of um, self and self-awareness and friendship and relationships? Uh, not long ago, I had a conversation with Joyce Poole and we know that elephants communicate and we know that they're talking to each other and we're even even learning what they're saying. Um, Not necessarily in human terms, but in elephant terms. So, Debbie, I think you've just hit it right on the head, which is the main tragedy of what we humans are doing to elephants in captivity. And that really important point that zoos are traders. And uh, trading in lives is really no different than slavery of another sort, uh, to imagine that, of, of the human sort, to imagine that you don't have any choice and guidance about your life, and uh, that is what I'd like our audience to consider today. Um, You just mentioned about how social and complex elephant lives are. I'd like it, if I may, to quote a line from the first chapter of your book, which I think highlights this and absolutely, it brought tears to my eyes, so I, I had to stop. Could I read it? Please. This is talking about Frankie, one of the uh, a wild-born elephant, who Ernest meets when Ernest is very young. I'm not going to give any more than that away. I need uh, our listeners to read the book. Um, so Ernest is talking and learning about Frankie, and uh, he's learned that Frankie was a wild-born elephant taken from his mother when he was three years old, and that Frankie understood. Ernest's devastation all too well at being taken from his mother at three years old. So, Ernest is talking about Frankie, and he says, He also had some idea of what it meant to be a wild elephant. He just never got the hang of how to be an elephant all by himself. Since the whole point of being an elephant is growing up in a close-knit family with lots of friends, an elephant without other elephants is not an elephant. That's beautiful. It still gives me goosebumps to read it. I, I keep reading that line over and over again, and I've highlighted it. So, that gives you an idea of the insight that Debbie has given to this book. So, we've got about three minutes left here. Tell us a little bit more um, of how you got into this and why you began writing. Well, you know, um, Carol Buckley uh, at the Elephant Sanctuary
3: had a, li- a list of reading um if you wanted to work there because I was gonna go work wanted to go work with the elephants. Of course I had no experience, but I i read um, all the books on her list and one of them was Joyce Poole's Coming of Age with Elephants and um, uh Keepers of the Ark and um Silent Silent Thunder by Kate C- Katie Payne and um I read I, I read Ambasseli uh Trust for Elephants, some of their some of their writings, you know, Cynthia Moss had written. And I just, you know, read, if it had elephant in the title, I, 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 was, I read it. You know, I just was, I was consumed by, um, you know, elephant information. I wanted to just know everything. And the more I read, the angrier I got. Because I was reading the science aspect of it and how they are in their natural environment and how they're not that way in captivity. And I just said, this is not right. And I just wanted to do something to help them or, and to help people to, to understand their plight. I wanted people to challenge their paradigm. Um, and create dialogue so people can start talking to each other like really think about what you're doing when you go to a zoo or a circus because you essentially are supporting animal cruelty by going
2: that's a good point so um, you have just highlighted two very distinct sides of this coin the research, the data, the knowledge that we've gained over forty, fifty years of wild behavior and elephants in the wild free-ranging in their habitats, whether it's Africa or Asia, versus what we've done to elephants, no matter what species, in captivity, and that they are really two very, it's the same animal, but two very different beings, same planet, two, two universes. So um, you, you read the science, you read the background, you, you got everything academically all set up, so that's going to lead us into our next phase that you're all ready, you're prepared, you want to go to work. You're you're like a um, missile and a rocket, all charged and ready to go. So what we want to find out is where you shot off to from there. So stick with us. This is Ellie Weiss, Our Wild World, and my guest, Debbie McPhee. And we're talking about the, Through the Eyes of Ernest with... About Ernest, who is every elephant. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
1: Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up, our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G.
0: It's time to take a new look at some of life's changing moments. It's time to listen to an expert who has been there and can provide insight through experience, studies, and enlightening guests. Tune in to Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. Host Lindsay Levinson takes a look at relationships, parenting, health and wellness, divorce, depression, sexuality, philanthropy, and mental health. You'll look at everything you know in a different way. Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets, airs Wednesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Boomers Rock Radio with Tom Mack is ready to entertain, enlighten, and educate. Our show is all about quality of life, fitness, mental health, nutrition, self-improvement, finance, and more. As you grow older, you may actually have more questions. Tom is here to help. He'll invite experts from many facets of health, business, and life to bring the answers to you. Make Boomers Rock Radio your weekly stop on the Voice America Variety Channel every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific. Join us and improve your life.
1: You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world.
2: Welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss and my guest, Debbie McPhee, author of Through the Eyes of Ernest. And we've said so far that Ernest is a representative of every elephant. And right before the break, Debbie, you were giving us information of how you got started, that, what you were learning, and now you're all primed and ready to be an advocate and an activist for elephants. Which direction did you choose first?
3: Um, I, I just, can I just add something that I forgot to say before um, when I was talking about zoos being really depressing? Absolutely. Um, because uh, I was in San Diego in 1988 when the um, the San Diego Wild Animal Park had that incident with Dunda. Um, some of the they they tied up up all four of her legs and beat her over the head um, with um, golf, you know, golf like club like swings with a with a bull hook and beat her senseless because she didn't um, obey a command. Now she is she has she did survive that and she's in the uh, Oakland Zoo currently. But another reason to why I don't like zoos which is ironic as far as answering your question you just asked me, because to get some information, I wanted to see for myself. I didn't want to take the activist word for it. Was I started to go to zoos around the country. My mother was sick, and I was going to Dallas a lot. So I went to the Dallas Zoo and the Fort Worth Zoo, uh, the San Diego Zoo, the Virginia Zoo in Norfolk, near where I live, um, the St. Louis Zoo, the Springfield Zoo. And I watched Elf as I just stood there and watched them.
2: So and you're just- you're sort of sounding like Katie Payne here. You... Decided to stare the monster in the eye and look at what really look at what you hated rather than what so many people do Which is say I can't stand that turn away and talk to the hand. I don't want to know So you decided to not do that you decided to um, Do the very thing that upset you the most to to figure this out Well, let
3: me tell you okay Ernest tells the ugly truth about captivity um, for elephants in North America and if like you just said, if you can't handle the ugly truth and you choose to look away, elephants will continue to suffer in captivity. Okay, but by reading Ernest's story you can you you'll learn the ugly truth about captivity and hopefully you will respond because only then is there hope for our elephant friends.
2: Well, okay. you know, I don't I don't know that we have time for hope. Hopefully people will. So listeners out there Um, You know me, you know this program, you know what this is about. This is about taking action and taking the blinders off and changing things. We can no longer afford, as humans, as Earth, as responsible citizens, as so-called evolved beings, to sit back and let injustices, especially to our non-human animal friends, continue. We know too much now. So to sit there and turn away is really being one of the deniers and putting your head in the sand and saying um, you're living in a fairyland and a fantasy land that it will see, somehow go away and that it's somebody else's job. Well, it's not. It's ours. So I just got my two cents in and my soapbox on again. So go ahead, Debbie. You went and visited every zoo and stopped and stared and watched the elephants. Did you talk to the people?
3: Yes, I did. It was funny how many of the people that worked at the zoo didn't know it didn't know um so how old is this elephant? You know, how long, you know, how long has this elephant been here? I did have a behind the scenes interview with one of the zookeepers at um, the Norfolk Zoo. And um, and I he didn't know I was writing a book. I was just asking him questions just as an elephant, you know, enthusiast. And I got a lot of good information. Long story short, about 10 months after I interviewed him, he would he was transferred because one of the volunteers Turn him in for beating, tying up and beating one of the elephants. And that was like about two years ago.
2: So later on in the program, I was going to ask you what's next, but I just have to ask you this right now. Um, are, Ernest is the emotional story and the truth, the ugly truth behind elephants in captivity. Other programs on our wild world have enlightened our audience of the beautiful truth of what elephants are in the wild. So. Are you at all interested being a technical writer and an English major in doing investig- investi- investigative work?
3: Um. Yes, I, I. Um. yes. Would you call yourself a whistleblower? Well, I, I would be, I guess, if I saw something, you know, that was horribly wrong. I mean, if I saw somebody beating an animal, I, well, I'd probably beat them up.
2: <laughs> well, you've taken in, what, over 150 dogs and cats and found forever homes for well, them and, my- and done a lot of work, but you sound and when I met you you you're a feisty little woman and I mean that in all the best ways that um, you could probably take on just about anything you wanted and and make a difference so um, well it's funny I made a difference in my neighborhood they everybody hated me when
3: I first got here because I had all these cats you know um, but but now the neighbor, like I trap and neuter ferals and I feed them of course you know they're you know you can be fed for the rest of your life but you have to have this little procedure and um, the because there was a cat problem in the neighborhood apparently before I got here and then suddenly I was the cat problem. But long story short, there's not a cat problem in the neighborhood anymore because I'm a responsible human being. It's not the cat's fault, you know. I spend more on cat food than I do on my for food for myself.
2: We could we could probably have a conversation about feral cat communities. Um, I definitely believe in trap, neuter, and spay, yep. but I am also and a lot of people don't want to hear this. I'm an advocate of euthanizing feral cat colonies because of the damage that they do to the wild species around. And I love cats. I have three cats. Um, It would be a a difficult thing for my friends to hear me say that I would uh, choose removal of cats over keeping them, but pet cats and feral cats are not the same beings. And uh, feral cats can do a tremendous amount of damage in a very small time. So trap, neuter, spay is certainly a short-term solution, but when you look at the size of the world, the size of, let's say, just in Vatican City alone, the feral cat colony, and the damage that they do to the environment... um, It's a whole other conversation in itself. But today, we're talking about captive elephants. You and I can talk about feral cats another time. And I hope to be having a guest on soon uh, talking about uh, Humane Society feral cat programs. But let's get back to Ernest. Who is Ernest? Well, Ernest represents
3: every elephant, okay? You know, as an English major, I made him an allegory for all elephants. And, um... I just wanted him to be the voice for, you know, the voice of, of elephants. And obviously in my book, my elephants speak English, of course, because that's what I speak, and you know, I, again, the empathy and the compassion thing, you know, as far as trying to imagine what it would feel like to be like they are. So I wanted to see them in the wild to compare them, to, the you know, seeing them in captivity, and there's no comparison. So where did
2: you go? Where was your uh, first wild elephant experience? um, I went to Kenya and
3: um, the first place we stopped was um, at Simburu.
2: Did I say that right? Yes. And then we went to... um, So is that up there with Ian Douglas Hamilton? Yes. Okay. Save the elephants? I even applied for a job,
3: uh, some research job to, to his organization. I had no experience, of course, but obviously I didn't get the job. But I mean, I was like
2: it's hard to transfer you know your knowledge and experience and your willingness into being a willing body and available to a research program. You know, it's hard to get they want the experience, but how do you get it until you right. get out there? It's it's you know I ran into the same difficulties um myself doing and that's why I started my own organization because no other organization would have me so that just goes to show to tell you everybody you know between Debbie and her work or me and my work you can do it don't let somebody else stop you get well, out there and I, do it
3: and I wanted to do something so um, and then I went to the first um, the first pause um, conference two years ago and I met a girl um, she worked at the in the Ambicelli um, research she was an African woman you know with a PhD and she stood up in front of hundreds of people and she said everything you want to know about elephants can be summed up in two words love and family elephants are all about family and and as far as you know being a lonely elephant in a zoo unfortunately you don't get to experience that they comfort one another they love to socialize they can suffer from PTSD they babysit yeah, um, you know, the young, the nannies are all competitive, they recognize themselves in the mirror, they know how to work together, they protect those they love, they enjoy hugs and touching, they cry tears, they bring food to a sick or injured family member, they're very spiritual, they bury their dead, they use twigs and tools, they formulate and implement plans, they can remember somebody for decades, and I try to put all of this in my book, you know, like to show what how awesome elephants are just in and of themselves they communicate in a complex language that we will probably never be able to completely decipher they have a cleverness that parallels our own they are our intellectual equal and they're different in form yet an inner, they have an inner life that rivals our own
2: I'd and, say they're more than our intellectual equal I'd say they are um, better than us as Daphne Sheldrick says they're just like us only better than us because Think of all we've done, captivity, the stories you just related, the story Ernest relates in, in the book, Through the Eyes of Ernest, the cruelty we have shown um, as a species to this magnificent species, and that they forgive us. They are so loving,
3: and I put that in my foreword. We can learn a lot from our elephant friends if only we would listen. And I have to tell you, since I have been in, this, in the elephant world, I am a nicer person now. I mean, no, I mean, I have more patience. I'm kinder. I'm more tolerant. I mean, elephants are the most patient beings on the planet.
2: Well, when you're not running by the watch and you're not sitting there having to make time because time is money, life becomes a very different thing. And I think that's part of what humanity has lost in this uh, quest for Western civilization and wealth of, of currency. So what was your first wow experience when you saw elephants in the wild? There was a group
3: under a tree in the shade uh, with ba- with babies, you know, different different ages. Um but little, you know, well, little <laughs> little for an elephant, right? <laughs> yeah. And um they had their backs to us and we were in the we were in the Land Rover and, and of course I was oohing and ahing and just like, "Oh my god." and they knew we were there and you know for the most part through the whole the whole trip they 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 live and let live they're like hey you know whatever just do their thing they don't bother us we don't bother them it's all about respect and so these these mothers they knew we were looking at them they turned around shoulder to shoulder and said hey you wanna see uh, you wanna see an elephant in the wild well here we are and they just turned around and faced our Land Rover and let it because they knew I mean they knew but they kept the babies out of sight. They were. They also when the babies were behind the mothers,
2: which so they, they often
3: do. A little bit of protection going on too. Absolutely. But I'll tell you the one that really got me the most was um, one of Daphne Sheldrick's ex orphans, Nancy. Interestingly, her name was Nancy. Came back to the stockades to show off her newborn, and she had four, and she did it four times. And one time, her 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 youngest had a snare wrapped around his back leg. It, he wasn't hurt, but it was like, he, you know, when he grew, it would have it would have hurt, right? Yeah. And she brought him back to the stockade because she knew her human family would help her. And the baby, of course, was running amok He was freaked out. He wasn't used to being around people. And all the orphans made a circle around him so that the keepers could crawl under their bellies and and um, release the snare. And he ran screaming to his mother after it was released, and she walked off back off into the into the um, you know wilderness.
2: The Shelter Trust is an amazing place. I've been fortunate. Um, Daphne's a friend. I've been there. Uh, Wild Eyes has supported uh, the orphan uh, release sites up in northern Kenya at Athumba, and down at the Voice site. Uh, we did a lot of work up at the northern release site in uh, Savo, north Athumba. But it is an amazing place, and it's it's interesting because it's kind of a whole new uh, life for elephants that do know humans, have been raised by humans, have been shown kindness by humans, and choose to be wild and go back to the wild. So there's been a lot of controversy back and forth of what kind of elephants are we going to have from the orphans that are now wild from the Sheldrick Trust. I was fortunate to meet Emily, one of the first orphans that went to the wild, and uh, have her guide the introduction through um, Simon Trevor. Um, introducing me to Emily and then her giving me an approval to meet the babies. So it is an astonishing experience to visit the Sheldrick Trust uh, and their orphanage, either in uh, Karen, outside of Nairobi, or in uh, Voi, or up in the northern area, which is a a little more difficult to get to. So um, we've got a couple minutes here left um, for this section. What were some of the highs? What I'd like to get into, and let's get started here, what were some of the highs and lows of getting started into this book before you ever really wrote the first word um, how did you decide how to go about putting this on paper?
3: Well, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I ended up going to um, Old, Old Dominion University for six semesters taking creative writing classes. Um, I started out with it um, being real technical and, and nonfiction, and um, it was too dry. I want. I wanted the um, characters to stand up on the pages. I wanted the reader to connect with and um, empathize with the with the characters. And um, I was sitting in class one day, you know, and all, all of a sudden, because you know, fellow students would critique our work, each other's work, mm-hmm. and it, and because I was writing writing it in a third person, and all of a sudden, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. We need to do this from the elephant's point of view. Good and, thinking. It worked. Yeah, and I then that's where I started. Was you know it was Ernest's story. It was how it's about it's my book is about us humans from the elephant's perspective.
2: Well, you've also just stated that you said a little bit ago that um, elephant is about family, friends, and you know community and neighbors and love and respect. Well, you just went through the same thing in joining a writers group. Um, it's a very close knit network of people there to help each other, support each other, and it becomes a family and it's about respect. So you sort of became an elephant there for a little bit. I did. Good for you. So, uh, we've got about a minute left here. What would you like us to know at this point or where would you like us to go in the next section? Why don't you give us a lead in here?
3: Well, I was going to say, how do we move forward? You know, uh, to give the elephants what they deserve and what they need and what they want. And, you know, because, you know, in my book, the elephants say, you know, humans got us into this mess and only humans can get us out of this mess. So oh, I'd say, uh, um, go ahead, sorry. I, and so I think the answer comes from our ability to respect and affirm all life. I mean, our humanity depends upon it. If we save the elephant, we we save ourselves.
2: Well, that's what we call umbrella species in the conservation scientific world, that if we can protect the um, umbrella, the thing that covers the entire environment, then we'll protect everything underneath it. But that kind of leaves out the emotional aspect of why. So let's pick that up right now. This is uh, Ellie Weiss with Debbie McPhee. We're talking elephants because elephants are huge on the landscape today. And I mean that in every way that it sounds. So stick with us. We'll be right back.
1: Dance Talk Radio has come to Voice America. Join host Tracy Marciniak and her celebrity guests every week for a show that takes you inside the world of dance. What's it like working with stars like Katy Perry and Taylor Swift? The experts share their stories and the behind the scenes secrets. Plus, inside tips to become a better dancer, instructor, or studio owner. Dance on over to the Voice America Variety Channel every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific for Dance Talk Radio.
4: w-i-l-d-i-z-e dot o-r-g Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Channel.
2: Welcome back. We're having a rather intense any motive discussion today about elephants. I don't often get to really get in with my guest and put in my own two cents worth and my own strong philosophical and um, beliefs about wildlife. But with Debbie, it's, I'm able to do that because we have this um, this co-passion, the similar passion. So Debbie, uh, during the break you had said you'd wanted to uh, let our audience and our listeners in on a passage from the book. I would love to hear that.
3: Well, thank you. Um, I just wanted to to, um, share, I don't want to give away too much of the plot, but I wanted to share just how important um, it was for Frankie to, um, you know, have his family. The days flew by as all things began to feel familiar. There exists a knowingness I cannot put into words. We delighted in our connection to each other, the forest and our newfound elephant society. We knew intuitively we belonged to something much larger than ourselves. It felt good to be alive. As we bonded and became an elephant family, I began to truly understand how important it was for Frankie to remember his family and his life in the wild. His memory of them and their love kept him from going insane. Now as part of an elephant society and living as a family, when I imagined his old life, I could actually comprehend his love for his family and just how much he desperately missed them. He ended up in a strange land, far, far away from his home and all he knew, yet his dreams must have seemed so real he could have almost touched them. He thought he could bend the entire universe with the force of his will and see his family again if only he could have at times they seemed so close he could almost grab hold of them yet each day they eluded him so with every tomorrow he ran faster trunks stretched out farther his huge heart breaking only to dream again another day when he finally grasped he would never see his family again and his dreams were already behind him far across the ocean in the vast shadows of his memory he lost his resolve to live and lay down to die
2: If I had read that before we started this conversation, I don't know that I could have um, uh, done this without crying because that just brought tears to my eyes. And it brings up an important point, the psychological aspect of knowing. And a lot of people would maybe say it's best that they didn't know they were from the wild. Wouldn't it be better if they didn't remember? And I think perhaps that's where... A lot of our science and our zoo mentality, captive mentality, in thinking that these animals are less than we are, that they don't have feelings, that they don't remember or aren't capable or have the capacity, makes it easier for us to not think of a passage like that. And you can't read a passage like that and not be moved. Um, because they do have dreams. It brings tears to my eyes. So, uh, They do dream. They do yeah. dream, and I think that's what we need our listeners and people to understand, is that life on Earth is about more than us.
3: Oh, my God. You got that right.
2: So the the psychological aspect of what we're dealing with of keeping animals in captivity, that's what the programs recently have been about on Our Wild World. So listeners, if you haven't been tuning in since November, I advise you to take some time out and listen to the speakers and my guests, because that's what it's all about. If we don't understand and begin to relate to animals in captivity, then there really is very little chance for us to protect their wild uh, relatives, the the real animals, the ones that live out there long before we were ever here and uh, live amongst us and, co- and coexist. So, Debbie... Um, Obviously with that passage, uh, this might be a redundant question. What is the message um, that you're trying to get people? We've sort of been hovering about this and uh, you know, butting up against it through today's conversation, but what is the message about the implications in shifting our especially Western mindset, which gets so emotive and so knee-jerk response to every animal counts, every animal has rights, to these large landscape, large species survival where they all count and within the huge species of elephants each one counts. How do we go from earnest and earnest point of view to every elephant to engaging this western mindset to knowing that waking up thinking about elephants every day as you do is not or should not be unique?
3: Yeah, my brother used to say that to me when I was really obsessed with when I was writing. He goes, Debbie, not everybody gets up in the morning and starts thinking about elephants. And I'm like, really? They don't? But, um, I think that a lot of us don't realize how interconnected everything is. We are all connected. And, um, the, the, that's what's so fascinating about the elephants is that they they will wait with their eternal patience for us to learn what we need to learn. Um, because, you know, for, they've for thousands and thousands of years they you know they, they especially the ones in Asia you know the working elephants and the temple elephants and you know um, we've incarcerated them uh, their whole lives you know and and we are always wanting something from them you know we, you know how we always want more 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 mm-hmm. and it's impossible for us to recreate nature and return them to their families in the wild and, and we can't remove the injustices and the damage that we that captive elephants have endured for thousands of years, and we just can't open up the cage and set them free either, but we can give them a dignified life, you know, and like live and let live, um, earnest, the, the reason I wrote the book was because I, to, I told you I wanted to create dialogue and empathy, and I wanted people to challenge their paradigm, and listen with their ears and their heart and their mind and their soul, I mean, our elephant friends have as much of a right to be here as we do. You know, they're, uh, you know, like we said, different yet the same. I mean, we, we are not alone. I mean, and what makes
2: us think that, what makes man think that they're the only, you know, intelligent being? I might flip that around. I'd say, do we have just as much right to be here as all the other species, as we are really the last ones to climb down from the trees and get off our knuckles and walk upright in the grass? So oh, yeah. wait, we, we're we the movers and the shakers today. We're the We're the decision makers. And um, I think what you're saying and what Ernest is telling us is that we have to shift our mindset to include the things outside of us and that it's not just our perspective, not just our point of view, as they say. That we have to skew the lens around and um, not just look at nature TV, which in itself is not always a truthful truthful picture of what's happening. It's kind of like nature porn sometimes. That everywhere all the time something is always happening where as you have just said elephants have the patience wildlife spends its time eating drinking having sex engaging in behaviors that keep it alive surviving and thriving in emotional um, well-being they, they are they just are I, I have to mention I watched the film Lucy the other night which I would encourage people to watch because um, the character Morgan Freeman uh, brings up one important line, and that it is time that makes human life important. It's time that makes life important. Otherwise, it's just being, and the difference between us humans is that we have decided that having, as you just said, Debbie, having is more important than being, and wildlife just is.
3: Oh, I think that mankind will be very lonely without animals.
2: Absolutely. So how do we... uh, So what's the advocacy part? How do we engage? What can our listeners do and readers of your book do? You, you You provide a list of elephant organizations. You provide a list of things and more places to learn about elephants. But what can somebody waking up in, you know, plain Jane... South Dakota, who reads your, your book, wake up in the morning, and do for an elephant? Well, the first thing that she can do
3: is never go to a zoo again, and not to support the circus. i got to tell you a quick story. A girl I work with bought a copy of my book for her daughter, her 16-year-old daughter in 11th grade, and um, they, she's brought it to school, and they're reading it during free reading time. She is. I mean, not they, but she is. And so the class, this is in Williamsburg, going to go to the circus for a field trip, which I'm not sure what the educational value is, but nonetheless, her daughter stood up in front of the entire class and said, I cannot support the circus and let me tell you why. And she had my book in her hand. <laughs> so, I mean, if, if, if anybody who reads my book and just recommend it to all their friends, and I mean, buy it for your hairdresser, buy it for your postman, buy it for the babysitter. You know, buy, buy it for it, yourself. It, the, the, ooh, the lady that does your nails. I mean, the more people who read it, the more people will get it. And they'll be like, oh, my God, I'm not going to support this anymore. I had no idea. Most of my friends who read my book are like shot. They had no idea
2: what goes on behind the scenes. And once again, I think that is a uniquely Western, Western civilization perspective, because we so revolve around ourselves and our wants and our needs and our little Maybe. dramas in this, this clock that we've set our lives by that um, we've forgotten what it's like to just be. So, yeah, I strongly urge our listeners to pick up Debbie's book through the eyes of Ernest. I strongly urge our listeners to purchase it through her website, which is www.4theelephants.com slash organizations. Um, Just keyword search for The Elephants with the number 4, not spelled out, and you'll find Debbie's website. And there are amazing resources there. But most of all, pick up the book, buy it, send it as gifts, get your friends to read it because it is an, an amazing story. So, Debbie, um, what's been, you've just given us some of the feedback that you've had. Um, what are some of the, um, and you've given us this concept of the, your 11-year-old uh, friend's daughter becoming an activist at Young. So it's important that, to know that this story is for any age group. To read and um, not just adults but for any age group and especially our youth because our youth is going to be our torchlight in 25 and 60 years from now they're going to be our leaders and taking over the the world we're leaving them so um a quick personal question what is your favorite part of the book Uh let's see oh i don't want to give away the story okay then what's your favorite part of writing the book
3: um, I have to tell you, this was a really neat experience, because I'd never written um, anything creative before. You know, I've done only technical writing. And um, I felt like I was a conduit, because, I'm, and many times it wrote itself, because, I mean, I would like, after a couple hours, I'd reread what I wrote, and i go, oh my God, I can't believe I just wrote that. I mean, I
2: seriously believe that I was a conduit
3: for this story.
2: Well, that's what creative writing is. That's what this show is. That's what... Being a talk show host and being a guest is all about we're conduits to yeah. exchange ideas and sh- exchange thoughts and exchange meaningful dialogue. I, f- I just feel like m- my writing of this book was a calling. That's a wonderful thing to say. That's a wonderful thing to hear. So, what's next for you? Well,
3: I um, I've started another book, um, and it's about but it's it's humans, but one of the characters is an animal activist. Uh-huh. And, the, um, and, and it's told from the daughter's perspective, and she thinks her mother's really weird because she is such, you know, she's an animal activist. And she's embarrassed, and she, you know, because she can't go to the circus, she can't go to the zoo, you know, she's, you know, she's embarrassed of her mother. And it's about how she grows. She finally gets what her mother's trying to say. So it's going to show the resistance that we, t- we tend to feel from people that think we're weird.
2: <laughs> so and it's then- going to be it, sort of in, through the eyes of... of um- I don't know. Uh, it's sort of the same thing as Ernest, but now you're going to do it from the human side and, and bring it home, so to speak. Right. right. Wow. So, so
3: it, it, of course, the daughter's going to, you know, get it after a while. But, you know, God, Mom, you're so weird. Like, you know, she calls her cat's um, paws hands. You know, no, Mom, they're, they're, they're paws, not hands, you know. And just, you know, roll her eyes, you know, and just make fun of her. And then, of course, she, she gets it after, you know, by, at the end of
0: the book.
2: Well, I look forward to hearing about the book. Um, You're going to let me know when it's ready. I would love to read a draft, so if you need an extra pair of eyes or um, notes or anything, please let me know. I'd be happy to do that. And uh, we're almost out of time today, so what would be the one big takeaway from talking about Through the Eyes of Ernest, Every Elephant, Activism, Wildness, Captivity, what is it you want us to take away today?
3: Um, uh, yeah, unfortunately for the elephants, you know, they're not on, like we talked about earlier, they're not on most people's radar. They're not a priority,
2: but um, they they need to be. I mean, we it's kind of <laughs> hard to believe how difficult how, you know that elephants are not on people's radar today with how much they are in the news between wildlife trade, traffic, illegal traffic, trafficking, poaching wars. Um, it's kind of hard for me to believe that people don't know but you're right they don't so how do we get them to know I, I just have to keep talking
3: and, and drive people crazy I guess because I mean the only way that this is what I want to leave people with um, how, like I said how do we move forward to give the elephants you know what they deserve you know and um, the answer comes from our ability to, to respect and affirm all life and that and um, you know elephants are an amazing Amazing, amazing species. So and if, you,
2: if you, we'd never get a chance, t- if so, we're not going to go to the zoo because we refuse to engage in captive behavior and supporting that. If you don't buy a ticket, then they can't sell it. And we're not with elephants in the wild. They're not native to here. The only place we'll see them here is in a sanctuary, a roadside zoo, or um, captivity of some sort of another. Then how do we engage people to respect. Do you think it needs to start by respecting? You said you became a better person, more patient through writing this book and all your studies of elephants. Do you think we need to learn to re- respect each other, grow a little um, patience for each other? Look at man's inhumanity
3: to man, you know? I mean, I guess, you know, we should start there because um, there's life is short and life is precious. And like I said, we're all interconnected and we need to just Get over ourselves, I, I guess. I don't I don't even know how to answer that question.
2: I'd say that's a really good answer. Get over ourselves. We are not number one. We are not the end-all and be-all and summation of life. And that's sort of what the film Lucy led to. It's certainly what Through the Eyes of Ernest leads to. And certainly what this conversation today with Debbie has led to. There are magnificent species uh, of life and diversity on this great blue spaceship called earth we are but one we are a young one and we still have a lot to learn so maybe it's time we grow up and learn what humanity is all about so unfortunately we are out of time today debbie thank you so much it's been a lively and engaging conversation
3: thank you ellie thank you
2: it's a pleasure to have you here so once again pick up through the eyes of Ernest. it's available at amazon.com barnes and noble and through Debbie's website, www.4theelephants.com. And the per, uh, 100% of all royalties go to Helping Elephants. And you'll find uh, those resources at the back of the book. Or better yet, pick up, uh, log on, and go online. Find Debbie's website, Ernest. You can keyword search through the eyes of Ernest, and it will get you right there. And contact Debbie. You can make a difference. One book has made a huge difference already. So uh, that's it for today. This is Ellie Weiss with my guest Debbie McPhee, and this is Our Wild World.
1: Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com.